You're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to weareredwood.org. We hope that the message that you're about to hear will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. We are going to be concluding our series on lies that are shaping our world. The truth is, we could we could spend many more many more months on on several different lies. I mean, Sarah and I we were talking the other day about how, you know, literally we we, we literally could continue uh, this and came up even with some with some topics, but uh, we've spent a good 3 months in it and uh, I'm I'm feeling imp- impressed uh, of the Lord to I've actually even begun reading about it this week and kind of just studying uh, the some of even the the physical side effects of what anxiety uh, does to uh, to us. And so I desire to uh, just look biblically at how you and I can uh, attack some of those things and just get kind of deep in uh, some rich uh, biblical truth on how you and I can uh, just attack that area in our life. And I think there are seasons, um, certainly in our lives, of where there's going to be more, uh, more anxiety, more stress, more panic attacks, things like that, than maybe other times. But I want to give us the tools to when these things arise in our life, biblically, how can we, you know, how can we go about um, getting, uh, getting help with that? And so that's kind of the direction that I've been praying over the last several days. And uh, most likely we'll get, um, I'm getting the green light to uh, prepare a series around that. So today will be the conclusion of our lies that are shaping our world. And then here's here's the final lie. Uh, we've been through we've been through a lot of them. I, I wrote them down here. Uh, believe whatever you want to believe. Life is simply random. God cannot be good or real because of all the suffering in the world. Uh, our good deeds outweigh our bad. Uh, tolerance is the highest and noblest of virtues. Uh, the goal of life is personal happiness. Um, what you own defines you. You are who you, how you dress, how you, all those different types of things. That, you know, that's your identity is wrapped up in uh, what you have. Uh, and then we also talked about how, you know, everyone is basically good at the core, the Pelagian mindset, and then no need for God. You can change yourself. And then last week we looked at the lie of death is simply just a pleasant transition. Now, for the Christian, it is, right? But it's for the lost that it's not, and that's a very sobering mindset. And so we're going to end this morning this series with this lie. God's problem is a lack of evidence. God's problem is a lack of evidence. And so here would be the question that would be posed to us in society. If God really exists... Why doesn't he show himself in some dramatic and undeniable way? And if God really exists, why doesn't, he, why doesn't he show himself in, you know, to where it's undeniable? You know, everybody would see, and there's no way that, uh, that, that anybody would uh, deny the, 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 the dramatic nature of that. And so that question was asked uh, some time ago in the Washington Post opinion article, and it was entitled this, Where is God? 
And it actually reflects a widespread sentiment of unbelief in, in the world in which we live. Now listen to me, wondering aloud, where is God, is an understandable cry of a desperation during crisis. It's understandable. David expressed words uh, to this effect when he found himself in a deeply despairing situation. Look at, you're at Psalm 13, right? That's where I had you turn? Okay, just making sure. Verse number one, how long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? And so, listen, you and I, you and I having these thoughts of, you know, you know, where, where, where is God? You know, David was like, are you going to, you going to continue to hide your face from me forever? You know, where, you know, where, where, where are you? I, I can't sense you. But as always the case with genuine believers, the truth that David knew eventually soothed the pain that he was feeling. Look down at verse number six. Uh, we've gone through this chapter uh, and, it, and it was great. We've spent several weeks on it. But it says, I will sing unto the Lord because He hath dealt bountifully with me. And so you see at some point, David comes to a realization that, um, that, 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 that God has worked in the past and that He has there. And so you and I are going to have seasons. You and I are going to have moments. And let's be honest about it of where you're going to be like, God, where are you? You know, what is going on? In the last 24 hours, you look through our news cycles and you begin to often you begin to ponder, God, you know, where are you? And I'll, I'll say more at 11, but I want, I, want, I want you to know that here at Redwood, we love every single race equally. Amen? That was kind of weak. Right? We love every single race equally. And... In Christ, we are all, um, we, 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 are, we are one in Christ. We're all equal at the uh, plane of, uh, of the cross and the ground of the cross. And any type of racism is wicked. It is from the devil. And uh, you and I, we're to love our neighbor. And that neighbor, it doesn't matter what color that skin is, no matter what uh, language they speak, we ought to love them. And our prayer ought to be for our, our, our country, that we would once again come back to those truths that we, that, that we are to love our neighbor. And so, you and I, we, we often wonder, God, where are you? What's, what's going on? Why does this keep happening? And, and these are real and, and honest questions that, that you and I have. But when you come back to the truth of the matter, when you come back to the Word of God, just like David, David understood eventually, I'm going to sing. Why? Because... You've done bountifully with me. He recognizes identity. He goes back to his identity in Christ, and it's going to now affect his future. I will sing. I am going to sing. And so, genuine believers, you're going to have seasons where you might be like, God, you know, where are you? What's going on? But go back to your identity, and it will ultimately bring about a change in your life. And so there's a demand in our world today for more evidence. Atheists, on the other hand, they lean heavily on the supposed lack of evidence for God as the basis for their denial of His existence. 
they like to portray themselves as objective. They like to portray themselves as reasonable individuals and readily proclaim their willingness to go where the evidence leads them. However, their objectivity, their, their objective inquiry is, inquiry is hardly exclusive. Their atheist, the mere inability to see God is often proof enough of His non-existence. Others argue that if God does exist, the burden of proof is on Him. And so put simply, God's problem is a lack of evidence. And this is a popular lie that's becoming, uh, that is the defense of many people that deny God's existence. And it could be a stumbling block for Christians. And there's really, there's really not enough evidence. So here's the question I want to start with. Let's just gonna, we're going to just plod through this. Here's the question. Do we need to prove God? Do we need to prove God? Evidential apologists, those that are, those that, you know, are going only on the evidence, they can confuse unbelief with ignorance. They consider the supposed information gap as the void that Christians need to fill. You know, you, you, you Christians, and I'm gladly one, label me that. That, we, that, that it's our jobs to suppose, uh, to, 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 bro- to bridge this information gap uh, that, that there is. And we've got to educate unbelievers into the kingdom. Consequently, these well-meaning Christians, these intellectuals, they, uh, they're laboring heavily and in, in a quest for compelling evidence of God's existence. But listen to me, true Christians are not mentally coerced. They are spiritually converted. Let me, let, me, let me say that again. True Christians are not mentally coerced. They are spiritually converted. We should be thankful for the compelling evidence of our Creator that we find in everything from the, from the design and DNA to the layout of our solar system. But, an evangelistic, but as an evangelistic tool, the evidential approach inevitably ends up doing more Harm than good. And hear me, I'm not against uh, you know, those that are, that, that are like the creationists. And all. We need that kind of stuff. But, but listen to me. Here's what happens if we're not careful. It turns the creator, creature, relationship on its head. In other words, God ends up in the seat of the accused and man places himself in the seat of judgment. So what will happen is we've got a creator, we're the creature, and if we're not careful, these things get flip-flopped. And now the created one, which would be us, is now putting the creator on the hot seat. And we've got to be careful of that. This is a, this is a pattern that's gone on for, uh, for centuries. And, and honestly, it's a pattern of unbelievers. Turn to Luke 23, please. Luke chapter number 23. When Jesus was, when He was hanging on the cross, different groups of people insisted 
that Christ prove His deity to them in their, in their terms, in the way that they wanted Him to do it. And so the Jewish rulers, they, you know, they kind of they sneered at Jesus. Look at what it says in verse number 35. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided Him, saying, He saved others, let Him save Himself, if He be Christ, the chosen of God. So they put the Creator on the creature, the created one's terms, and they say, hey, if you're really the God, then save yourself from this cross. That's the only way. Hey, this is what, this is what you have to do. You've got you've to prove yourself on our terms. And then the Roman soldiers, uh, they teased him in a similar way. Look at verse number 36. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And even the unrepentant uh, criminal, you know that there were two criminals, two malefactors, the way the Bible says it there, uh, one on each side. One, um, one came to a saving knowledge, but you would think that the one that's being crucified along with Jesus Christ, he wasn't in a position to make any types of demands. And yet, he also makes the demands on Christ. Look at verse number 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. So in essence, accusing God of a lack of evidence is nothing less than idolatry. Sinful man routinely asserts his imagined sovereignty over God. Yet the God of the Bible, he defines himself on his terms not ours. He's speaking to Isaiah in Isaiah 45. It says, I form the light and I create the darkness. I, the Lord, do all things. Psalm 115, verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord hath prepared His throne in the heavens and His kingdom ruleth over all. In Exodus, the Lord described Himself to Moses in succinct and non-negotiable terms. Here's how He describes Himself to Moses in Exodus 34. And the Lord passed by Him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And He kind of continues to go on. So God authoritatively declares who He is. Authoritatively on what He is like. You and I, we don't get to do that. And so, should you and I be able to articulate His existence? Sure. But it's not your job to prove His existence. And here's why. Because this comes to our next point. God has proven Himself. He's proved Himself. Turn to Romans 1, please. Romans chapter 1. This is the conclusion of everything that we've been talking about. All of these things that they say, well, God can't, God can't because of this. And all of the things that we, all these other lies are just messing up society because ultimately they've said that there is no God. I can believe whatever I want. But God has proved Himself. And Scripture makes it clear that God's not left Himself invisible and He has not left Himself unrevealed to mankind. Look at verse number 18. Romans 1. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Okay, you can go to chapter 2 and you really learn what that is. That's that conscience. The moral lawgiver, God, creates a moral law within us. The known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Excuse. So God's fingerprints, they're all over His creation. Just as a painting is proof of a painter. Ron Bowman likes to paint, or over the years you've liked to paint. And if you're ever to visit him at his house, he can show you many renditions over the years that he has, um, that, 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 that he has painted. Uh, one such painting you gave to Dwight Tomlinson, who was the founder, just had him here for our 45th anniversary. And when he had an office, now he's you know, over in China, he had that displayed in his office for, uh, for many years. But when you see a painting, what does that say? It says there was a painter. You see a building. We're in a building right now. What does that say? It says that there was a builder. I promise you there was not an explosion and this just came about. I mean, this is pretty awesome, isn't it? Wow. You say, well, I'd like some air conditioning. Okay, it's, it's, it's all good. We're fine. It's still beautiful, right? I mean, it's awesome. I mean, who has a rock on the inside? You know, that is real. Don't jump on it, but it is real. You know, so when you see a building, it says that there is a builder. And so, too, it is with creation. Creation, everything that we enjoy, is proof of a creator. God has made his invisible attributes visible. The particular attributes that man can perceive, in part through his natural senses, are God's eternal power and his divine nature. So God's eternal power refers to His never-failing omnipotence, which is reflected in the awesome creation which, which that power brought about and sustains. It's sustaining. You read the book, you read the book of Colossians and you see that, that Christ, is everything is, consists because of Him. It's sustaining because of Him. You know, it's, just, it's crazy, like gravity and orbital things. I, I don't even understand it all. I'm not even anywhere near like a scientist, okay, at all. And that our earth doesn't just go, woo, and just keep on going. But that it's just, it, it's amazing that we are being sustained. Take our body. We've got a couple of you in here that, are, that, that, that work on the body, and you work in the medical field. Amazing, amazing things that we learn about our Creator. And it's being sustained and you see that eternal power and God's divine nature of kindness God's divine nature of graciousness it's reflected all over Paul told the people of Lystra in Acts chapter number 14 verse 17 nevertheless he left not himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and faithful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness. Paul is speaking to this group and he's talking about God. 
God didn't leave himself without a witness unto himself. And listen again how, how Paul describes this. Nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. How many of you like to eat? Praise God, man, me too. I'm, I'm, literally, my stomach has growled since I was teaching. Man, I'm just hungry. I'm, I'm ready to eat. Whenever church is over, let's go. You just, you just let, let me know. We'll, we'll go. But even the rain that provides for that, that brings about the sustenance, all of that, it's just a witness unto a Creator, unto God. God's natural revelation of Himself, it's not obscure. Listen to me. It's not selective. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? I mean, it rains on the just and the unjust. God's common graces are all over this world. It's not just for the believers. It's for everybody, His goodness. Even in the most ancient of times, before telescopes, before microscopes, the things that tell us of the greatness of God, but those were evident in vastness even back then. Men could look at the stars and they could discover the fixed order of their orbits. Every single night they could look up and they could see. They might not have known that it was the Big Dipper, but wow, every single time I, I see it in the same exact place around, you know, you know what I'm saying, you know, as we orbit. And you could see that there was order, that it wasn't just chaos long before a telescope, long before now a microscope where you can look in on the amazing creation. People back in the day, long before some of these things, they could see how a seed, little tiny seed, would become this monstrous tree in the same kind of which it fell from. Order, not disorder. Amazing. And they've been able to look at these things for centuries and thousands of years. Or the marvelous cycles of seasons. The rain, the snow. You know what Paul says? They all witnessed to a Creator. They're all witnessing of God. They witness, or have you ever witnessed the marvel of a human birth or the glory of a sunrise or a sunset and how it's every day. Psalm 19, verse 1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth His handiwork. So through the majesty and order of His creation, the invisible God undeniably reveals Himself. Reveals Himself. He's saying... Here's all the proof creation. So then what's the problem? That comes to my final point of our series, and that is this. Man's problem is unbelief. It's unbelief. God has never been the one with the problem. He's never been absent. He's never been invisible. From the beginning of time, creation shows His handiwork. Unbelievers are the ones that are willfully suppressing the truth. We looked at it in Romans 1, verse number 18 there. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So man's problem is unbelief. It's willful and defiant unbelief. Evidence for God or lack of evidence thereof has never been the issue. Atheism, atheism is nothing more than a facade for people who love sin 
and hate God. We've looked at that over the weeks. We cannot allow sinful men to stand in judgment over God. Instead, we must warn unbelievers about God's impending return and the judgment that follows. You and I, we should not accept the demands that sinners make for God to show Himself on their terms. We should not accept the demands that sinners make that God is going to look like this and He's going to act like this and they define Him on their terms. We must proclaim the one and true God as He has revealed Himself in His Word. I wish I could have heard um, JV's message. He was preaching last week. He's uh, going to be a sophomore, correct, at West Coast Baptist College. He was preaching uh, last week up in San Francisco, and he was preaching on uh, how the, the, the Word of God and how the Word of God is our guide, it's our mirror, it's our sword, it's our weapon, all those different types of things. Listen, listen. Let the Word of God be the tool that defines who He is. Get into, uh, get, get into His Word. We must have the courage to expose the real problem. And the real problem is the problem of unbelief. The insatiable love of sin and the absolute refusal to worship God as He rightly demands. And so as I close this series out, it makes sense that the truth, that the truth is the best defense against a lie. Would you agree to that? Okay. But here's a question I want you to ponder here. But should that be the church's strategy when combating the lies of the world? Should we try to persuade and out-argue sinners bent in defiant rebellion against their Creator? Should we present rebuttals and counterpoints to sway the minds of those caught in the slavery of sin? Should we pin the hopes of another person's eternity on our ability to present a better and more convincing argument? Now, we need to be aware of the lies that have permeated the culture of this world. We need to be aware of the threat that they pose on these unbelievers as well as those that are in the church. But I don't believe we should overestimate our own persuasive abilities when it comes to reviving dead hearts. There's no argument that can awaken the conscience. There's no argument or persuasive speech that can impart new spiritual life. There's nothing that can soften a sinful heart of stone apart from the gospel. Apart from the Word of God. And so throughout this series, we've looked at these lies. I've tried to the best of my ability and no doubt fallen short on many of these things is to impart to us biblical tools that we can we can defend, we can go against these lies. But the power to truly defeat them lies solely in the work of the Holy Spirit to convict, to illuminate, to redeem, and to transform. And so, know your Bible. Know your stuff. 100% for that. But don't think that it's just you that can ever change that person's mind, that can ever change that person's life. Go in that truth that you have. 
Study the Word. Don't get just hook, line, and sinkered into all of the lies that are shaping our world. But don't go in any kind of arrogance of your knowledge. But instead, take that knowledge, take that truth, and realize that it's got to be the Holy Spirit of God that will illuminate that heart, will illuminate that life, and then bring about regeneration. And so this morning, we're going to go back into uh, the book of Mark and chapter number 5, and we're going to look at uh, the, the, the woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years. And, and, and it's so amazing. Listen, we are not offering reformation. We're offering a redeemer. The same message of Christ. Preach Christ, because guess what he does? He reforms. Do you know what I mean by that? He brings about change. What's the proof, Ryan? Genesis to Revelation, he changes things. And so let's preach Christ. Let's take the truth that we have and in humility be thankful that you've been given that truth. Be thankful that, you've, that, that, that you understand that truth. And then go in the Holy Spirit's power and say, I'm going to confront the lies that are shaping our world. Do it in love. I don't think we've ever caught a uh, anything uh, but love from this series, but do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing what you believe and, um, and, and sharing that in His power. And so here's what I'd like for us to do. I'd like for us to take, we're, it, it, it's 1042, um, I'd like for us to take some time now praying, praying for our country. It, it's broken. And the only thing that can honestly change it is Christ. The only thing that can constantly, that, 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 that can change the world around us is you and I imparting the love of Christ to our neighbor. I said it earlier about just how we've we got to love our neighbor. And our neighbor, when we study Scripture, and we've already done that, our neighbor is anybody and everybody. Okay? Even if they're, even if there are, even if they've wronged us. Hey, listen. Our neighbors, anybody and everybody, and you are, you and I, we are to love them with a love that Christ loved us, okay? And so let's pray for those that are, that are grieving in El Paso. Let's pray for those that are grieving in Ohio. And let's pray, listen, let's pray that God would use us to shine love to those. I mean, you, you, you think about people uh, today that are just, no doubt, probably very, very, very fearful to go into public settings and things like that. And uh, let's pray for them. Let's pray for these hearts that have been broken and lives that have been shattered, families that have been literally because of death and because of wicked racism of any kind. I've already I talked about that earlier. It's all wicked, any single kind of it. And what we've seen on display has been wicked, at least the facts that we know. And um, let's pray that God would eradicate that as we love individuals. So you can pray with another individual. You can pray with somebody else or you can pray there on your own. But I, but I ask you, I don't, 30 people in here, I don't know how many of us, all of us, let's pray that uh, God would be glorified in what has been uh, a very difficult 24 hours. So let's spend a few minutes here praying, please.